Welcome to the Wild Wisdom Podcast with Dr. Patricia Mills. I'm Dr. Patricia. This podcast is for people who want to transform their health, restore their hormones, and reconnect to their body's natural wisdom. Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia. I'm a Canadian medical doctor, published author, internationally recognized researcher, and passionate advocate for your health. Here, we'll explore the intersection between ancient wisdom and cutting-edge science, distilling the essence of true health into practical steps you can take. Wild wisdom is instinctive knowledge in action. Thanks for making this part of your day. Do you want to learn how to eat for the best hormone health that you could possibly experience? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to the Wild Wisdom Show. I'm Dr. Patricia Mills, a medical doctor with a root cause approach to health. And today we're going to be covering a super important topic, which is how to eat for hormone health without having to go on a diet. And why is this important? Well, hormone health is very um, complex. And when we get into the way to eat for it, I'm going to try to simplify it as much as possible. And I'm only going to be using evidence-based research uh, to guide what I'm going to teach you. So everything I'm going to talk about has been proven in research to work in women and in men as well. But today we are focusing uh, on both. So while we talk about hormones, we're going to be talking about all of the hormones will be supported by this kind of diet. So that's your thyroid hormone, your estrogen, your progesterone, your testosterone, your insulin, and your cortisol. So thyroid hormones, obviously, it's the thyroid that controls metabolism. Estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone are your sex hormones, which control your fertility and how well you feel, your muscle mass, how chill you are. And insulin is your sugar hormone and cortisol is your stress hormone. And they all interact with each other. So when people are like, well, I want to support my thyroid, it really also, you need to also support your sex hormones, your insulin and your cortisol hormone, or I want to support my stress response. You also need to support all the other hormones. So they're all interrelated. And this way of eating that I'm going to be speaking about will support all of them. And, you know, you may be wondering, do I have problems with my, um, my, with my hormones? So for women, it shows up in the menstrual years with menstrual regularity, menstrual pain, mood issues like depression, irritability, anxiousness, behavior changes, infertility, fibroids, endometriosis, PCOS, fatigue, and weight gain are all potential signs of hormone imbalances. And then when you get into peri and postmenopausal years, those show up as, you know, significant and severe hot flashes and night sweats. A little bit is normal, but when they're very uncomfortable, that's not okay. That's a hormone imbalance sign. Fatigue, weight gain, belly fat is a, a common sign of excess cortisol hormone, loss of libido, vaginal dryness, insomnia, irritability, anxiety, and depression. And for men, they can experience a range of all of these things as well, excluding um, the menstrual issues and the hot flashes and night sweats. So it's really important for us to look at how can we support our hormone health through nutrition? Okay. And there are really four nutritional considerations for hormone health. So I'm going to say all four of them, and then we're going to go and dive into each one deeply. And if you're joining me live, um, please put your name in in the comments. I'd love to say hi. And if you have any questions, put them into the comments as well. So here we go. Uh, number one, you want to avoid foods and drinks that cause blood sugar spikes and insulin resistance. And this is 
pretty, uh, you know, fairly new in the research, the link between how does your blood sugar levels respond to your foods and drinks and how that can impact your hormone health. So we're going to be diving into that. Number two is how do you balance your meals and snacks for that optimal blood sugar response? So it's not just a bo of, about avoiding certain foods, but what is a particular way of food combining and sequencing that actually helps improve that blood sugar response and therefore hormone health? Number three is you want to avoid foods and drinks that cause inflammation. And if it's, this is the first time you're hearing about the link between inflammation and hormone health, we're going to be talking about that. Number four is you want to include foods with nutrients that help build hormones and also reduce inflammation because we all have a little bit of inflammation from, you know, uh, Western lifestyle living. And so anything we can do to add in foods that will actually help uh, reduce inflammation for better hormone health is important. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to dive into each topic very deeply. All right, so here we go. This is like a tour de force. So avoiding foods and drinks that cause blood sugar spikes and insulin resistance. So the thing is that when you eat a food or drink something that um, contains carbohydrates, um, the way that the carbohydrates are broken down uh, in the gut and absorbed into the body in terms of how how much there is and how quickly it's absorbed into the body will will influence the amount of sugar in your blood. So that's called blood sugar, right? And you have different levels of sugar in your blood. If you haven't been eating for a while, like let's say you woke up in the morning, your blood sugar will be at its lowest point. And then right after eating like a candy, it'll be at its highest point. So it'll go from low to high as that sugar from the food goes, uh, you know, from the gut into your blood, into your bloodstream. And if we had like a little microscope and looked, looked into your blood, we could see that blood sugar level rising if we could measure that blood sugar level. Okay. And what happens is that with blood sugar, um, how much sugar is in the blood at any given time will influence how much of your uh, insulin hormone is being made by your pancreas. So insulin has many functions in the body. And one of the functions it has is to um, help the sugar get from the blood into the tissues. And that sugar is called glucose as well. Okay. And so the more um, sugar or glucose goes into your, into your blood from your diet, right? And we're going to talk about all the different sources. Candy is the obvious one, but there's, there's obvious sugars and hidden sugars. Um, the more sugar that goes into your blood, the more insulin that has to be released. And there's what's called the Goldilocks zone, where um, if you have just the right amount of um, sugar in your blood, you have the right amount for good energy, right? Um, and if you have too much sugar in your blood, you get too much insulin hormone production, that insulin hormone spikes as well. And in the short term, there can be some, um, you know, short term inflammation that happens, there can be some short term effects um, on your cortisol hormone and other hormones. But in the long term, if this keeps happening day in and day out, those blood sugar spikes being too high, you can actually run into problems with what's called insulin resistance. So that's when your body 
has been exposed to so much insulin that it now becomes resistant to it. It's like if insulin was a key and the and the body's ability to sense it, the receptors that receive the insulin is the lock. If you think about a key that's constantly jamming into the lock, the lock will eventually break and become resistant to the key. So insulin resistance is when your body has been exposed to too much insulin hormone too frequently over time. And that starts to cause problems with other hormones. So it starts to cause an imbalance with estrogen, with progesterone, with testosterone, and with cortisol. So you can actually get hormone imbalance over time, a little bit in the short term, but more and more and more to quite a quite a lot in the longer term, uh, due to these daily excessive blood sugar spikes. Okay. And the thing is, what causes the sugar, the blood sugar level to spike too much? So I like to categorize it sometimes into obvious sugars versus hidden sugars. Okay. Because if you're sitting there thinking, well, I don't eat sugar, um, you'd be surprised that you might actually be experiencing these blood sugar spikes uh, to the point where you could run into problems with insulin resistance over time from the hidden sugars. So stay tuned for the hidden sugars. So the obvious sugars are, you know, your white or your brown sugars, like your, you know, the ones that are powdery, um, like granulated, um, and coconut and maple sugar do count. So some people are like, well, I, I have coconut sugar. Um, that is still a sugar. It will still turn very quickly, uh, you know, into, um, it'll, st- it'll still be broken down very quickly by the body and quickly absorbed. Okay. And the thing about like the sugar that's in vegetables, for example, it in the end becomes the same kind of sugar that's in um, simple uh, granulated sugar. The difference being that the sugar in the vegetables is surrounded by fiber. And so um, the body takes longer to break down the fiber. And so that sugar that's packaged in the vegetables, if you were to see it being released into the body, it's like a little bit is released over time. And so it's like it never it, it all gets like slowed down. The release is slowed down because of the fiber. So you would see that the blood sugar would go up, stay kind of long time and then come down again versus that same amount of sugar. If you took that same sugar and turned it into Um, granulated sugar like you took all the fiber out of it all the vitamins and the minerals and the protein and that you know vegetables have protein as well they have their own natural fats if you took all that away and you just had the same amount of sugar um, that sugar you would be quickly released into the bloodstream so that level would spike and that spike is what causes the excess uh, insulin hormone release that nice slow steady increase and then decrease in blood sugar does not cause excess insulin hormone release so that sometimes the confusion arises between well what's the difference between um, the carbohydrates and vegetables versus the carbohydrates and sugar actually there isn't much of a difference uh, other than the packaging, but the packaging makes all the difference. So, for example, sugar comes from uh, the the table of sugar that you have, like the granulated sugar that's used for you know cooking and baking and all that stuff. That comes from vegetables. It comes from corn. It comes from beets. But it's become highly concentrated. Do you see what I'm saying? So that and that packaging uh, or lack of packaging makes all the difference when it comes to hormone health. So then you have um, other uh, sources of potential obvious sugars. So if you have too much honey in maple syrup, even though they are slightly more packaged, right? Maple syrup and honey do have 
really health beneficial nutrients, but if you overdo them, then you start to get into the quantity issue. And then the obvious ones like candies and pastries and cookies and muffins and cakes, all of those have those um, granulated, very refined sugars. So they're going to cause a very quick blood sugar spike. Okay. Now the hidden sugars this is the tough one where um, I myself ran, ran into this problem when I was experiencing problems with my hormone health. Um, it took a lot of investigation and a lot of um, reflection. And actually, I'll, I'll share with you uh, what I did specifically to find out what was happening in my body due to these hidden sugars is ultra processed foods. They have a lot of hidden sugars in them, even when they say healthy, organic, natural. And the thing is that unfortunately, these sugars, um, you won't see the word sugar necessarily. There's 56 different names for sugar in ultra processed foods like dextrose, and um, they'll say coconut syrup, um, you know, lactose, all those kinds of things. So the, it, most Packaged foods um, that are ultra processed, even if they say the word healthy and, you know, all those things on them, you have to look at the ingredient list and get familiar with the 56 different names for sugar. Most bread, actually, unless it's a sourdough sprouted bread that has no added sugars to it. So most of the bread that you see sitting on the shelves, even the ones that are multi-grain, you know, those things, they have a lot of hidden sugars. Again, you have to look at the ingredient list and see what's been added in. And unfortunately, the same goes for gluten-free products. So some people are like, well, I'm, I'm on a gluten-free diet. And so I'm, I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing the healthy thing. But little do they realize that if they're buying gluten-free baked goods, for example, like gluten-free bread or cookies or bars, anything like that, they have a lot of these hidden sugars. So that can cause a lot of damage. Oat milk is like a sugar shot. Basically, it's the simple sugars from the oats, but with all the fiber removed, right? That's why oat milk is sweet. So it's not a very good alternative to milks. And if you buy a nut milk and a soy milk, while they don't have a lot of sugars naturally, if you're if you if you look at the ingredient list and it's got a lot of ingredients on them, not just the nut or the soybean with the water, but a lot of other things, usually a lot of those other things are added sugars to give them flavor. Protein bars and protein powders, oh my goodness, they are just such a source of hidden sugars, unfortunately. It's hard to find a really good quality one. Fruit smoothies, and I see people doing this where um, with all good intentions, they'll make a smoothie in the morning, and yes, they'll put their kale, and they'll put the spinach or whatever, the greens, but then they'll add like um, fruits to it in a quantity that they normally wouldn't eat the whole fruits in. So like, you know, a half a banana plus berries plus mango plus pineapple or whatever it is, you have to really look at the quantity and the kind of sugar. Um, once you blender certain fruits, that fiber gets pulverized and now it's like a sugar shot. Whereas if you ate that fruit whole, it wouldn't cause that crazy blood sugar spike. And then syrups and nectars like agave syrup and coconut nectar, don't they sound healthy? No, I'm sorry, but unfortunately they tend to cause blood sugar spikes. So those are the ones that you really have to look out for. And in terms of bread, it, it's, you know, there's lots of research actually showing that when the bread is sourdough bread and or sprouted bread, if there's no added um, like food additives or added sugar. So it's like the bread you find at your local wholesome bakery, like the baker who's not adding anything other than the flour, 
the water, the yeast, the salt, maybe, you know, the oil, that's it. That's what you want to see in your bread, you know, so that's the kind of bread that you're looking for if you want to continue to eat for hormone health. So now we're going to talk about what, what, you know, so what does like a meal look like? What is a balanced meal and snack for an optimal blood sugar response? Because even those healthy carbohydrates, right? Like, like the sourdough bread, like um, whole grains, like rice, quinoa, teff, millet, um, beans are a big source of carbohydrate, but they are a healthy source of carbohydrate, right? All the legumes and beans out there, lentils, all those things. Um, How do you eat them for a healthy blood sugar response? Because if you sit down to a plate of what would, you know, would be called a vegetarian or, or vegan plate where it's rice and beans, right? If you eat that a certain way, you can actually get a massive blood sugar spike with that. Same thing with quinoa and lentils. So there's actually a way to eat your healthy carbohydrates, which we're going to cover. What are those healthy carbohydrates? Because we just covered the unhealthy sources. Um, How do you eat them? And actually, it's interesting how you put them together, the combination, the composition, and the sequence in what order you eat them actually has a huge effect on your blood sugar response, which is crazy. So the meal composition that has been studied up and down and left and right is that you should always eat your carbohydrates uh, or, or your meals in general with a combination of protein, fat, fiber, and the carbs. And we're going to get into what that looks like specifically. But um, in some people call it like you shouldn't eat naked carbs, you know, like uh, a fruit on its own or an excess amount of rice, you know, um, an excess, a big plate of pasta with just a little bit of tomato sauce and like a few veggies, for example, that's going to cause a big blood sugar spice. So you have to combine your foods. And another thing that's been studied very well, interestingly, to improve your blood sugar response to that meal is to add vinegar to that meal, which is so funny. It's it's the acetic acid in the vinegar that improves the blood sugar response. So if I were to eat like, let's say potatoes, and I just added vinegar to those potatoes, and it could be an apple cider vinegar or a white vinegar, a malt vinegar, a balsamic vinegar, as long as there's no added sugars to that vinegar, balsamic vinegar. You really have to look at the ingredient list. Um, Or let's say you ate it with a pickle or some sauerkraut, anything that has vinegar in it, okay? And the vinegar in pickles and and fermented foods is lactic acid, which has acetic acid. So if you eat that, if I ate the, the, the potato on its own, my blood sugar would spike really high. But if I added vinegar, that blood sugar spike already would be less, a more healthy level, a healthier blood sugar response to that same food. Okay. And what research has shown, and actually there's a study called the pattern study, is that your after eating sugar response, glucose response, it's called postprandial glucose, uh, your insulin response and other hormones like incretin in, di- changes with the same meal. If I take if I give you, you know, meat, potatoes, and vegetables and oils, like the fats that go with it, to, like in the dressing, let's say, it, depending on the sequence in which I eat them. I'm going to get a better blood sugar um, response and a better insulin response. They actually measured insulin response to these meals as well, which you can do in research. You can't do 
um, in your life like daily, but you can measure your sugar response in real time in, in at home. So I'm going to, I'm going to teach you about that, but this study, the pattern study, as well as the study in non-diabetic. So if you're like, well, I'm not diabetic, you know, I do I really have to care about my blood sugar response? And the answer is yes, your food does affect your blood sugar response, even if you're non-diabetic. And it looks like when you eat your carbohydrates, after meat or vegetables or a combination of both, so protein and vegetables, you actually get a better response in your blood sugar and your insulin levels. Okay. So what does that look like? You're thinking, okay, can you just put that together for me? Like what I'm sitting down, like, what does that look like for me? Okay. Well, what that looks like is you would, you would have vegetables with like a healthy fat and vinegar, such a dressing of olive oil and white vinegar, for example, apple cider vinegar. And you might eat that first or with your protein source. Like if you're, if you're eating meat, it would be meat or maybe fish, right? Or if you're vegetarian, it could be your soy. You eat that together and then you have your healthy carbohydrates. So the healthy carbohydrates are potatoes, rice, sourdough, or sprouted bread. It could be a really good quality pizza dough, right? As long as it doesn't have weird sugars added to it, which a lot of, um, uh, big chain pizza restaurants do have, but a really good quality pizza restaurant will just have the flour and the, you know, the water and the oil and the salt um, and a good quality pasta. Same thing. Some nice oats or quinoa, beans, teff, millet, all of those things. But ideally you have them after you've had a plate of vegetables with the dressing on it. So you can think of it as a vegetable starter. All right. And if you're, um, you know, over the age of like 40 or so, you should consider having those vegetables cooked because it's easier on the digestion. If you try upping your vegetable intake and it, you eat a lot of it raw, um, what will happen is you might run into problems with your digestion. So cooked vegetables, cooking kind of pre-digests your vegetables for you. And as we age, we do need that um, digestive help. So cooked vegetables is like kind of a game changer, actually, when it comes to hormone health and adding cooked vegetables in front of every single meal, including breakfast, is a hormone health game changer. And I know this sounds weird, right? And interestingly, breakfast has turned out to be the most important meal of the day, the meal that breaks your fast at whatever time you're breaking your fast, whether it's six o'clock in the morning, eight o'clock, 10 o'clock or 12 o'clock. Um, what you're going to want to do is you're going to want to have that meal with a, uh, ideally a cooked vegetable starter with that olive oil and vinegar and sea salt to taste. And the amount matters too. We're going to talk about why that matters, but just, I'm going to introduce it now is that when you look at your plate, you want about half your plate to be those cooked vegetables. Um, and then a palm sized serving of protein, what your protein source is and a palm-sized serving of your healthy carb. And then lunch and dinner, or whatever meals, like if you eat two meals a day, you know, all those meals should be the same. Essentially, you have to switch from a sweet breakfast to a savory breakfast with vegetables. And that might look like having leftovers from the night before. So when you cook dinner at night, just make a huge platter of vegetables and save some of that for, for breakfast and lunch the next day. That's the easiest way to do it. Okay. A small um, salad can be okay as a starter, but it won't give you the volume of vegetables that you need, which I'll, I will be addressing exactly how many vegetables and how to eat them. So usually 
cooking reduces the volume of vegetables, right? So like a big, you know, mushrooms will shrink down and a big spinach thing will shrink down and, you know, cauliflower will, everything gets a bit smaller usually and easier to digest. So that allows you to do that half a plate of food and have it be easier on your digestion. And so that's the meals. What do you do for snacks? Snacks, ideally, the carbs come with fat and fiber. So for example, if you eat fruit, have it with some nuts. Have your um, hummus and guacamole with vegetables, okay? So those are some snack ideas. And it doesn't have to be complicated. Like people run around with protein bars. If you're having really good protein, at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you don't really need to have protein with your snack as well. You can probably get your protein during those meals. And so it's easy to run around with a handful of nuts and, a, and an apple, for example, or like half a banana and put some, um, you know, um, nut butter on that or, or seed butter on that. Just add those two together and already you're going to get some blood, better blood sugar response. Guacamole has a lot of healthy fats. Hummus has tahini and oils, which has a lot of healthy fats. Um, and that, and eating that with your veggies, which is your fiber, can be really great way to keep your good blood sugar level response throughout the day. And for drinking, um, it, you know, really the very best way to support your hormone health is water and herbal teas, but primarily water. The body is really designed to drink water. It's what it does best with. And when you start adding sugar to your drinks or even too much milk, milk has a lactose sugar in it, it can start to um, increase your exposure to things like sugar and it can potentially cause problems with your hormone health. And then you'd be like, well, how do I know for sure that my meals are keeping my blood sugar response in that Goldilocks range, like not too high, not too low. By the way, if your blood sugar spikes really, really, really high, the body's natural response is for that blood sugar is to make a lot of insulin. And when the body makes too much insulin, then that it causes the blood sugar to like rush into the tissues like too quickly. And so your blood sugar will drop very, very low afterwards. It's called um, reactive hypoglycemia. So there's hyperglycemia, hypoglycemia. So one key um, kind of for some people, a tip that you're getting too high blood sugar spikes is actually the sign of your blood sugar going too low. So that's like, you know, feeling tired, dizzy, hungry, nauseous. Those can be signs that actually you've, you've spiked your blood sugar too high and now it's come too low on the other end, which is counterintuitive but if you're eating, you know, if you're eating foods and then you start to feel that in the middle of the afternoon, that kind of hypoglycemic, kind of hangry, headachey, tired, nauseous, you know, um, it could mean that what you had for breakfast and or lunch spiked your blood sugar too high. So how to know for sure is to monitor your own blood sugars. And I know that might seem weird, especially because we think about blood sugar monitoring more in the realm of diabetes. But there is a role for, um, you know, every now and then mo monitoring your blood sugar levels at home for hormone health, right, to improve, to really be on top of your hormone health, okay? And so, for example, right now, I have a continuous glucose monitor on. And I do this about once a year. And one of these devices lasts for about two weeks. And I like to do it once a year just to see how my body's doing because as we age, our blood sugar, you know, our body changes and what served us when we were younger may not serve us as we grow older. And so I like to check in with my body with real time data. And, you know, it just allows me to see how is my blood sugar response doing. And so it's what's really cool is it's on an app. 
Um, and you can see here, this is my blood sugar, sorry, my blood sugar responses through the day. Um, and I've stayed in the green zone, the Goldilocks zone there that, you know, I've, uh, you can see that it hasn't gone too high or too low in response to foods. And so I had breakfast and, you know, there it was. So I know that what I'm eating for breakfast is really um, supporting my hormone health through the portal of the insulin health, right? Which then affects all the other hormones, like I said. So I, I'm very certain. And I used to think that a bowl of oatmeal was really good for me. And I'd add like nuts and some, you know, a little bit of honey and some sliced bananas and berries. Oh boy, that was not good for me. So my blood sugar levels were just like off the chart actually. So I had to change my breakfast. Primarily the big change was adding um, the cooked vegetables with um, this, you know, the, the olive oil and vinegar and sea salt to before my meal and then a small bowl of oatmeal afterwards or my sourdough bread. Plus I added protein. I wasn't really eating enough protein for breakfast. Um, and so uh, what seems to be really good protein for hormone health and for general health in women and in men is about 20 to 30 grams of protein per meal. Okay, so sometimes you have to sit down and calculate out what that looks like. Are you eating enough protein um, and just adding in? And I do not add in protein powder. I do not use protein powder to get enough protein for my hormone health. I use things like um you know, uh, eggs or smoked uh, fish, like uh, little fish, like uh, sardines, herring, mackerel, salmon. Um, those all can be very good um, sources of um, protein for breakfast. Um, you know, once a week, I'll have some bacon. Um, if I was vegetarian, I would be looking at really good quality organic tofu or tempeh or soybeans and those kinds of things and vegetables that have high protein content. So that's how I would look at that. Now, the next thing that we're going to talk about is avoiding foods and drinks that cause inflammation. Now, you may be surprised to know if you haven't been following me over last show, uh, over the last um, you know, uh, episode, is that inflammation causes hormone imbalance or it can make it worse once it's present. And it's been documented in, in so many things, PMS, endometriosis, fibroids, um, and uh, menopausal hot flashes and night sweats that are excessive. Uh, and for men with low testosterone, they have increased inflammation. So this is really key. So everything that you can do um, to reduce inflammation will help your hormone health. Um, the way that inflammation causes problems with hormone health is that it interferes with the functioning of the tissues that make the hormones. So it can interfere with your ovarian functioning, uh, testes functioning um, and muscles are made in other places like the gut. Uh, hormones are made in other places like the gut interferes with the gut hormone production, the thyroid hormone production. So that's how it works. And interestingly, it's all interconnected, right? So insulin resistance causes inflammation. So that's one way that insulin resistance in interferes with um, hormone health. Um, so certain things that cause inflammation that we know of are too much omega-6 fatty acids. And so that's your vegetable seed oils like canola oil, corn oil, um, grape seed uh, oil has a lot of omega-6. It's one of the highest content ones. Actually, I do not cook with it for that reason. Um, soybean oil, um, safflower oil, sunflower oil, all of those oils have much higher levels of omega-6 
fatty acids compared to things like olive oil, avocado oil, and sesame seed oil. So those three oils I just mentioned are actually the best kind of oils to cook with. And you also want to avoid trans fatty acids like margarine. Margarine causes inflammation. Please, if you have it at home, throw it out. It's, it's, I know some people are using it as like a replacement for butter because they're avoiding lactose. It's not worth it. Like it's actually totally not worth it. Use olive oil instead as a replacement for butter. That's what I do on my, cause I have a lactose intolerance on my bread. I just drizzle really good quality olive oil with a little bit of sea salt. It is delicious. Um, and the thing with grapeseed oil, you know, some people are like cooking with it because they're being told that it has a higher smoke point. Um, well, the problem is while it does have a higher smoke point, it has a higher omega-6. So in my opinion, that that risk does not um, balance out the bet potential benefit. And olive oil actually has a pretty high smoke point. You know, you can bake it even at uh, up to 400 degrees. At 400 degrees Celsius, it starts to have issues with a smoke point. And also olive oil and avocado oil have a very, very good oxidation point. So it's much less likely to go rancid than these vegetable seed oils. So same thing with canola oil. So, you know, we went down the wrong path with those oils in my, um, in my opinion, my opinion is based on research. So I really hope you take this to heart. Um, and then the other thing that might be surprising to you is that foods that harm gut health, including your gut microbiome, which is a community of organisms living in your gut um, that support our gut health, um, that causes gut inflammation. And that can lead to body inflammation. I, you know, I, I've talked a lot about this before. Um, and you can certainly go back to my um, um, previous episodes. You can look at on YouTube on the playlist, uh, you know, gut health. Um, and I talk a lot about things that um, harm the gut. Like um, we talk about pesticides, like too much pesticides um, are gut harming, ultra processed foods and drink additives. So um, ultra processed foods have a lot of things added to them to maintain their shelf life, like emulsifiers and preservatives. And those have been proven in humans to harm the gut and actually cause gut inflammation. And when the gut gets inflamed, that lining of the gut gets inflamed, that causes inflammation to then proceed throughout the rest of the body. So you do not want to do anything that causes gut inflammation. And yes, like a little bit of ultra processed foods here and there, no problem. But if you're eating it every day, particularly those protein bars and those snacks, you know, in those packages and things like that, you really have to look at the ingredient list and get familiar. If it's a name that if it's a word that you don't recognize, it's probably not good for you, like sodium benzoate, right? Those things are really not good for you or um, CMC or... Um, you know, anyways, there's so many, it's hard to think of them all here right now. But, and the other thing too, is those drinks, you know, those bubbly drinks that are flavored, those natural flavors could potentially be problematic. Natural flavors come from chemical extraction of natural molecules from, from nature, but those molecules are chemically extracted. And we do not know yet if that is problematic or not. So for now, I would personally just avoid natural flavors uh, if you see that as an ingredient list. So, um, you know, a lot of people are drinking these like flavored waters thinking that that's a healthy choice. It's not. Um, and so definitely any kind of um, ultra processed foods and dinks, drinks with food additives, you want to really minimize or avoid altogether. Excess sugar har harms the gut health because it feeds the um, yeast in our gut like candida. And any kind of overgrowth of candida in the gut could, like, you know, it can cause local gut inflammation. Artificial sweeteners, 
can change and harm our gut microbiome health. So Splenda, like sucralose, um, you know, aspartame, all of those things, just, just avoid it. If you're going to need something sweet, have a small amount of, you know, maple syrup, have a small amount of honey, even a small amount of, um, you know, white sugar or brown sugar, just in small amounts. It's all about the quantity. So the poison is in the dose, right? We're not saying that sugar is evil. It's when we start to develop a bit of a sweet tooth and we let that become our master um, you know, we are um, a slave to the sweetness and we need to basically tame it and tame it with savoriness, <laughs> get the savory going. Um, also excess alcohol. Uh, the thing is that a lot of our hormones like estrogen, for example, um, and men have estrogen too, and the estrogen is um, broken down and excreted. So the toxic, um, you know, uh, estrogen that you don't want in your body floating around, you want to get rid of it, it's broken down and excreted by the liver and the gallbladder. So when you drink alcohol, not only can it harm the gut microbiome, which affects your ability to get rid of um, your um, toxic hormones, it harms your liver health, and then you can't detoxify. And then you can start getting into problems with, you know, excess estrogen. And we know that uh, you know, estrogen has been uh, too, too much of the wrong kind of estrogen in the wrong place is linked to things like um, breast cancer, right? So we don't want to go there, right? So just keep your liver healthy and don't overdo the alcohol and excess pesticides. So you may not be able to buy everything organic. Um, however, you know, wash your fruits and vegetables in a uh, baking soda solution, two teaspoons of baking soda and two cups of water been proven to um, really get rid of ex pesticides on the outs on the outer surface of things. Look up your dirty dozen list of fruits and vegetables, which are the, the ones that have the highest amount of pesticides, um, you know, invest your money into those and save your money on the clean 15 list, which are the fruits and vegetables with the least amount of pesticides. But, you know, um, uh, unfortunately, whole grains and beans, um, so wheat and um, uh, beans and legumes, they have a lot of pesticides on them. If they're not organic, that would probably be worth like oats. You, you want to buy organic oats for that reason. So that's, uh, we really want to really reduce gut harm. And interestingly, there was a study that looked at the differences in the gut microbiome of women uh, according to their ultra processed food consumption. So they took these women, they divided them to two groups, women who usually ate a lot of ultra processed foods and women who ate less. And they found, this is kind of fascinating actually, that the woman eating more ultra processed foods and drinks had unhealthier gut microbiomes. And they had this very specific hormone imbalance, which is called leptin resistance. So leptin is the hormone that makes you feel basically satisfied. And the body had developed a resistance to it. So now these women almost could almost never feel satisfied. And so they had more fruit cravings and as, as a result, more weight gain. So this stuff really matters, you know, like I just, it can make a huge difference if you sit up and pay attention and take action. And then the last thing in terms of reducing inflammation uh, in the body is Know and avoid your food sensitivity. So, you know, um, unfortunately, because of damage to gut health, as a result of us unknowingly eating these foods over time, we can actually develop new food sensitivities. And so 
You know, you can have problems with um, the pro- you you react to the protein in eggs, or you react to the protein in bread, which is gluten is a protein. Um, you may react to uh, dairy, right? And that reaction is an inflammatory response. It's an inflammation reaction to that food. So that can show up for people either locally in the gut with like, you know, bloating and constipation or diarrhea, cramping, it can show up in the body as rashes you know, dermatitis, eczema, psoriasis, all those sorts of things, acne, it can show up in the joints as joint pain, brain in the brain is brain fog, right? So um, it's worth at some point in time in your life doing what's called an elimination diet, where you go through and you eliminate the most common foods that people have food sensitivities to give your body a bit of a break for about three to four weeks, and then reintroduce one food at a time. And you you see how does your body respond to those foods? Okay, so that is something I've also spoken about in the past, and uh, you can definitely find it on YouTube in my playlists uh, under nutrition. Um, and I highly recommend considering that at least once in your life. Okay, it's really important, I think. Um, and then the fourth one, the last one, is to include foods with nutrients that help build hormones and decrease inflammation. Remember, we want to build up the hormones that we want, and we want to decrease the inflammation that we don't want so that we can get that healthy hormone um, balance, right? So what do we need to build hormones? Well, interestingly, we need protein. We need fat. So going on an ultra low fat diet is really, really not good. Not good. Like, you know, they've done studies now where people who go on ultra low fat diets have an increased risk of all causes of death. They call it all cause mortality. So there's a Goldilocks range for fat as well. Not too much and not too little. Why? Because you need your fat to build hormones. Okay. And you need protein to build hormones. A lot of us are protein deficient, actually. So that's what the research is showing. And that we, most of us need to eat more protein. We tend to eat a lot of protein with dinner, a little bit with lunch and very little with breakfast. So adding more protein to that breakfast, not only um, improves your blood sugar response to that breakfast and every other meal of the day subsequently, but also gives you more of those building blocks to build your hormones. You do need carbohydrates for healthy hormone balance. So especially women compared to men, we tend to need more carbohydrates. One of the reasons is that um, there's a hormone in our brain called serotonin, and we have less of it. We have about 50% less of it than men, and serotonin is a feel-good hormone. And uh, so when we go into periods of like, you know, in uh, premenstrually, so the two weeks before uh, menstruation or getting into menopause, we need to really support the production of the serotonin hormone. And in order to make it, we need healthy protein, healthy fat, and a source of healthy carbohydrates, which is why um, I'm a person who does eat, I do eat potatoes, I do eat rice, I do eat bread, I eat pasta, I eat pizza dough, but I eat it in the way that I've taught you. I eat it. In, uh, in combination, in balanced, and in sequence. I eat it last. By the way, Italians eat their pasta after they've had their antipasti, which is usually like cured meats and vegetables, after, uh, after their vegetables and after their meat. Then they eat their pasta. So isn't that interesting that they um, you know, have just naturally evolved this pattern of eating, which actually supports hormone health. And again, the amount matters. So, you know, usually a good rule of thumb is that palm size serving of that carbohydrate. So not a big bowl of rice and beans and some vegetables. Um, It's really like a half a plate of the vegetables, palm sized carbs, 
and um, palm-sized meat or animal protein or whatever source of protein you're using if you're vegetarian. I will give you some resources if you're a vegetarian on how to um, increase your protein um, intake, okay? So um, the other thing is you need minerals. So for example, we need magnesium to make every single hormone. We are 80% of us are about are magnesium deficient according to research. And that's for various reasons. Stress drains magnesium because it needs the stress response needs a lot of magnesium. Um, so there's many different reasons. Our food has less minerals now because of the quality of the soil you know, et cetera. And we also need vitamins. Oh, and another mineral we need is iodine to make the thyroid hormone. And for most people, we're not getting enough iodine in our diet to just even build that, make that hormone happen in our body. And we need vitamins. And interestingly, the, what, the decreasing inflammation bit, what has been really strong in the research to decrease uh, inflammation is um, the fiber and phytonutrients, which are the plant chemicals in, in vegetables. And in fruits, there there's a certain way to eat them, and I've done a whole um, you know episode on this before. But the way to eat them uh, is eight to ten servings of vegetables or and fruits a day. So you know, primarily vegetables, two servings of fruits maximum. You know, maybe three, because again, the fruits do have more sugar than the vegetables. Uh, they have more with less fiber, so they tend to have a more of a blood sugar response than the vegetables. Again, the same, and and um, fruits have a, a, a different kind of um, sugar called fructose, um, more so than vegetables do. And so we want to keep our fruits low because we want our blood sugar response and our fructose consumption to be lower because fruit too much fructose can damage the liver. So, you know, that balance should be, you know, about if you're having eight to 10 servings of vegetables and fruits a day, that's six to eight servings of vegetables and um, two servings of fruits. At least one vegetable and fruit should be from 18 different botanical families. What that means is variety. So the research that actually studied the decrease in inflammation with eating fruits and vegetables showed that the inflammation went down if you had a variety of fruits and vegetables. So not just like corn or potatoes and carrots, but, you know, um, kale and kohlrabi and mustard greens and um, asparagus and mushrooms and onions and garlic and you know cabbage and turnips and radishes like there's just so many actually right when you really stop and think about it so having that variety is important and even apples like different apples have different nutrients so a gala apple has different nutrients than an ambrosia apple which is different from a pink lady so just maintaining a variety seems to help um, with more phytonutrients that, that put out the fire of inflammation, which is really fascinating research, actually. And then the second food group um, or nutrient that really has been shown to decrease inflammation is omega-3 fatty acids, which are the oils in the very delicate oils in things like fish. It's really known for being very highly present in, in fish. And um, but if you don't eat fish, you can get them from flaxseed, chia seeds, walnuts, and soybeans, although it's much less um, quantity and less and harder for the body to use. But it, you, do, you can get omega-3 fatty acids from those sources. Um, and though omega-3s, when they've been studied either nutritionally, like in sources like the Mediterranean diet, when they study the Medi Mediterranean diet, which is high content in these foods, it decreases inflammation. And when they've studied omega-3 in supplements, whether from fish oils or algae, algae oil has omega-3 in it. 
um, that reduces inflammation too, which is really, really quite fascinating. And so including those foods in your diet can be very, very helpful. And you, and you know, you might be sitting there thinking, oh my goodness, how do I, how do I eat six to eight servings of vegetables a day? And, you know, we have to remember now that when I said that with every meal, you have half a plate of cooked vegetables, um, that basically means you're going to be eating, you know, with every meal, about two cups of raw vegetables or two to three cups of raw vegetables that have been cooked, which then reduces down to about a cup, actually, like a cup and a half, which, you know, is not not a lot. So when you look at your plate and it's half a food, a, half a plate of cooked vegetables, you know, you're hitting your um, six to eight cups of vegetables a day. Um, and it's much easier to hit those targets if you're cooking them, right? So another reason to eat more cooked, yes, you can start your meal with a little raw salad, but then follow it with a dish of cooked vegetables. So in my house, um, every meal has at least one cooked vegetable. I try to even aim for two and I'll just do big sheets of baked vegetables or saute or steam or roast. You know, I just buy a bunch of vegetables and that day I'm, I'm thinking, well, how do I want to eat them? Do I want them steamed? Do I want them roasted? Do I want them blanched? You know, uh, do I want them sauteed? And then adding the olive oil and the vinegar and the sea salt for flavor. It, you know, it just becomes habitual. And I think about what protein do I want and what healthy carb do I want? And I just mix and match. It's like mixing and matching, right? So again, palm-sized serving of protein, palm-sized serving of healthy carb. By the way, if you're cutting out ultra-processed foods, including ultra-processed breads, not the kind that a local good quality baker makes, but the kind that lasts forever on the shelf, you are cutting out the highest source of salt in your diet, the hidden salt in your diet. And which means that you can then turn around and add um, healthy um, natural salt like Himalayan salt or sea salt, pink salt, gray salt to taste in your vegetables, okay? And um, when you do that to taste in your vegetables, it is very difficult to overeat salt. It's easy to overeat salt when it's hidden with a lot of sugars in those things like those breakfast, the, you know, the bread rolls and all those sorts of things and ultra processed foods. So that's one of the reasons people are running into problems with uh, hypertension is actually their salt consumption from ultra processed foods is, is astronomical. But if you cut out the ultra processed foods and use sea salt and things like that to salt, salt your, your whole, you know, your fruit, your vegetables to taste and your meat and whatever to taste, you usually stay within that range. Again, salt, it's a Goldilocks range. They've done research showing that people who don't eat enough salt, they have increased risk of dying, actually more so than people who eat too much salt. So there is a zone for salt as well. And you need salt. You need the minerals from salt to support your adrenal glands and making healthy, uh, healthy stress response with cortisol hormone. So you need minerals from salt to live as a human, actually. So it is important. And also what I like to do is considering adding seaweed. Um, you know, I add them to my vegetable broth, to my bone broth. I'll soak them and dehydrate them and add them to my soups and stews, uh, my cooked vegetables. Really good source of iodine for thyroid health. Okay, really important. I cannot stress this enough. And bone broths in general, I love them. You know, they've they're full of minerals. I've done, you know, uh, you know, I've done episodes uh, looking at how to make a bone broth. You can Google it. How to make a bone broth? Um, it's really worth looking into. 
lots of um, easy access protein in the form of amino acids and the building blocks of cartilage, uh, which is really important for joint health and bone health, right? So anyways, I, I am a big believer in the functional use, like the nutritional use of bone broths for hormone health. And for snacks, again, you can use your hummus, your guacamole, veggies, fruits, nuts, seaweed snacks, you know, uh, there's actually a lot of options and people think, well, I don't know what to eat. And it's like, well, if you're eating a protein bar every day, that's the same thing every day, then why don't you just eat an apple and nuts every day? It's the same thing every day too, but much better for your hormone balance. And here's a tip for a restaurant. So let's say you're out eating at a restaurant. You're like, oh my gosh. What do I do, right? How do I eat for hormone health here? Well, if you don't go out often to restaurants, like don't worry about it, just enjoy the restaurant, right? Like just have a good time, eat what you want and recover the next day and go on with your healthy eating. But if you're finding that you're eating out at restaurants more than you would like, a tip is to order one or two sides of vegetables because usually there's not a lot in the side unless you're at a really good restaurant that gives you a heaping, you know, vegetables, but usually it's like a little bit. Order one or two sides of vegetables and eat them as your star starter. Ask the waiter to bring some vinegar to the table, like a white vinegar or a malt vinegar. Usually white vinegar is better. And, you know, just put a little bit of vinegar on it. Eat that first, you know, um, and then have the rest of your meal, whether it's a piece, pizza or a pasta or you know, even um, a vegetarian meal that tends to have a little bit too much rice and beans compared to vegetables, like that that um, composition is a bit off um, when you go to restaurants that serve vegetarian and vegan meals. So um, being aware of that, okay? And try not to have the vegetables deep fried. <laughs> you know, ideally they're, they're steamed. Um, next, what best would be baked or sauteed. They do use vegetable seed oils at pretty much every restaurant with very few exceptions. Even Asian restaurants are using it. So um, just be aware. Some restaurants don't. Uh, if you're eating out a lot, it would be worth finding the restaurants that you can go to that don't use those vegetable seed oils if you can. And another tip is if you're going to drink water, uh, alcohol, drink it on a full stomach. Okay. It just the food buffers the effect of the alcohol. So obviously keep it, keep your intake minimal if you can, as minimal as you can. Right. Um, and then, and that's, you know, people say, well, how do Italians drink alcohol and they're healthy, right? Well, part of the reason is they never have it on an empty stomach. They're always having it with some kind of meal. If you've noticed, I've been to Italy many times and I've really paid attention and their wine is organic. Non-organic wine has pesticides in it. That's been studied and proven. So do you want to drink pesticides? No. So ideally drink organic wine if you can. So you avoid that, that gut harming effect or at least drink alcohol on a full stomach because that will buffer the effects. And coffee as well, best to be drunk on a full stomach. Too much coffee can cause some issues with gut health and, and many people, not all, but many. So drinking on the full stomach or switching from a full caffeinated to a decaffeinated coffee is 30%, uh, 70% less caffeine. And the Swiss water decaf method of extracting caffeine is best. It doesn't use chemicals. So there is a way to extract caffeine that uses chemicals. You want to avoid that kind of coffee. Look for Swiss water decaffeinated coffee. 
So if uh, I'm going to start, uh, I'm going to be sharing with you some really helpful resources next. Okay. If you've been watching me and I see all the viewers, hello, if you've been watching me now is the time to put in your questions because there's a, about a, a little bit of a delay between when you type in your questions and hit, hit enter and I see it. So if I don't answer your questions is because I didn't see it in time. So start typing now and putting it in. So I want to just, you know, we've been talking about nutrition um, and I want to just pull back a little bit and just remind you that it's it's a whole lifestyle modifications to um, avoid and decrease insulin resistance and inflammation aren't just nutrition, but it's also exercise, how you exercise, how you do a stress response, how you sleep, and how do you address your exposure to toxins or hidden infections. So these are things I will be covering, but today we talked specifically about nutrition. And I'm going to be sharing with you in the show notes on um, YouTube. So uh, if you're catching this, um, look at the description. If you're listening to this in the podcast, go to YouTube, go to the show notes, because I'm going to be putting links into videos I've done in the past, uh, including how to get enough protein on a plant-based diet, nine tips for better blood sugar balance beyond what I discussed today, and which are the best oils and fats to cook with. Like if you're really doubtful or wondering about the science on that, I did a whole, ep like a whole episode on that. So it's really, really important to do. Another thing I want to, I want to offer you as something that uh, may help you is that if you're sitting there going, oh my goodness, how do I do this on my own? How do I do the, the blood sugar monitoring and the elimination diet and like, you know, having recipes and things like that? Um, you know, are there supplements that can help me reduce my inflammation and my insulin resistance that's already there? Um, you know, the answer is I've got something for you. I've specifically created a um, in-depth gut and hormone health uh, promotion program called Body Wisdom. I run it once a year only for only 20 participants. It's very small, very intimate. Um, I only do 20 participants because I put a lot of effort into it. And um, it's coming up, by the way, if you're watching this in now live, it starts January 30th. So your timing is perfect. Um, if you're catching this some other time, no worries. I'll put the link in the show notes. And whether you want to register now or join the wait list, if you're catching this at some other time, like you've missed the boat now, but you're interested in next year, um, if you put yourself on the wait list, you do get first dibs uh, on registering and some early registration um, bonuses, which are active right now, by the way. So go to the show notes, click on it, look at look it up, look at the information, see if you're interested. We basically do four steps in four months. We do um, supplements, we do uh, guided blood sugar measuring, we do a group elimination diet, and we go deeper into those other lifestyle modifications like how to exercise, how to best support your sleep, um, you know, how to address these toxins uh, and things like that. So it's a really comprehensive, unique, um, custom design program that I put together based on years of experience and research now. And uh, I want to offer it to you for those of you who, um, you know, want some assistance and help. So, so happy to be able to provide that for you now. I've been doing body wisdom for um, about four years now, and it's every year it just gets better and better. Um, so if you've enjoyed this and you want to also find out how to fast for better hormone health, um, what I'm going to be covering in the next Wild Wisdom show is um, when to eat. So there's been a lot of talk about fasting for, for you know, weight loss and uh, all those sorts of things. The problem is that people are making a crucial mistake when they're fasting that is really messing up their hormone health. 
for women, but also for men, by the way. So, um, and so yes, fasting is healthy uh, for, and uh, but there's a certain way to fast and there's a certain time. And if you, and mo I would say like 99% of people that I'm talking to who are fasting are getting this timing wrong and it's absolutely messing up with their hormone health. So stay tuned. I can't wait to see you there. Thank you everybody who joined me today. And if you enjoyed this, please save, please subscribe, please share. Sharing is caring. And you never know if you share this with someone uh, like a loved one or a friend, um, they may just benefit tremendously from this information. And it's a beautiful gift to give them. So thank you. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, evening, or night. And uh, thank you very much. I'm getting some great comments from um, the live, um, live viewers. And I hope uh, to see you again soon. Goodbye. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast, Wild Wisdom with Dr. Patricia Mills. If you like this podcast, please take the time to like and subscribe. And please feel free to leave any comments and look below for the contact information if you want to connect with me directly. Thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful day, evening or night. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for a professional care doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided with the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for help in your journey, it is important that you seek out a qualified health practitioner. If you would like to work with Dr. Patricia for her expert health transformation guidance, please email her at info at drpatriciamills.com to book a discovery call. You can also find Dr. Patricia on Instagram at Dr. Patricia Mills and Facebook at Wild Wisdom for Women with Dr. Patricia Mills, MD. For access to all of Dr. Patricia's educational videos and more amazing perks, consider becoming a Patreon member. Links are in the description of this episode. It is important to have an expert in your corner that can help you make the changes you crave, especially when it comes to your health. 